And we can read again from verse 4 to verse 6, where we read these words. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I would like to look with you briefly this morning at a great subject. That is the subject that is before us here, which is our union with Christ. Union with Christ has been likened to the hub of a wheel. And if you look at that illustration there on the screen, you'll see the hub at the very center of the wheel. And all the various spokes of that wheel are things like regeneration, effectual calling, faith, repentance, justification, and sanctification. These are like spokes that are coming out from the hub of the wheel. And the hub of the wheel is our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he comments on these verses and he says this. We have here one of the profoundest statements with respect to the condition and the position of the Christian that can be found anywhere in Scripture. Man in Christ. Now we go back to the very beginning of this chapter. We see a different picture. We see the picture of man in sin. What we are by nature. Sinners by choice. Sinners by practice. Dominated by sin. That's what we are by nature. We are actually dead in sin. Dominated and doomed to death in sin. Dominated by the devil. And doomed to hell. That is what we were. And that is what you are if you're not a Christian here this morning. But if you're a Christian here this morning, you are what we read of in these verses. We are a people who are in Christ Jesus. We see here what God has done for us. And Paul in particular says that he has joined us to his own son. Now this is something that should really warm our hearts. Christ in you, if you're a Christian, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ dwelling in us by the Spirit, which is a guarantee that something must happen in our lives. That is, that we will change because Christ is working in us. We are adopted into God's family. And let's remember when we're adopted into God's family, we're not adopted in name only. We are in his family. I would just briefly like to look at this great subject under two headings. Firstly, I want to look at these two words at the beginning of verse 4. But God. I remember way back in 1972, I was stationed at Cameron Barracks. I remember one Sunday morning coming into Greyfriars, Donald MacDonald was the minister, and his text was, but God. 
What's he going to say about these two words? But God. Perhaps you've thought about it and you're you're saying to yourself, what does this mean? But God. Where would this word be, my friends, if it were not for God? But God. And these two words in themselves, in a sense, they contain the whole gospel. But God. The gospel that tells us what God has done for us. The gospel tells us that God has intervened in the life of mankind. And he shows us, too, that the gospel is not remote from life day by day. So Paul has painted a picture here in verse 1 of what man is by sin. And this is where you are this morning if you're not a Christian, my friend. Couldn't possibly be blacker the, the, the picture he's painting. You are a person who is dominated by the wicked power of the devil. And you're on your way, the Bible says, to a lost eternity in hell. Let's not beat about the bush. That's the Bible speaking. Jesus is saying this. I can't imagine anything worse than being in this hopeless situation. A place of despair. What can we say about people who are dead in their sins? They are dead. They are dominated. They're doomed. But then suddenly, we see in chapter 4, there is hope. Why? Because God has intervened. We see man's ruin in all its blackness. But praise the Lord that that's not the end of the story. But God, there is hope because there is a God who is sovereign, who is working out his purposes, and there are no mistakes in God's plan. But God, oh, what hope we have. There is joy in the Christian's heart because there is a God who is in control. A God who's done something. He's come into our darkness. And he comes and he says in his own word that there is light. And he is the light. And as an aside, by saying these words, they transform every situation in life if you're a Christian. Perhaps... You're concerned this morning because of your health. Perhaps you're grieving because of having lost a loved one. Perhaps there are tensions in marriage on all of these things. But if you're a Christian, there is a fundamental change taking place in your life because there's a process going on of sanctification. And that's true of the Christian. When the Christian is facing temptation... The devil is there constantly, is he not? He's trying his level best to try and trip you up in whatever way he can. He tries to keep you from studying his word. He tries to keep you from prayer. How often is that the case? You go into prayer, your mind wanders, and the devil is there trying to stop you. But you must remind yourself, ah, but God, perhaps you're being tempted by some seductive temptation and you feel yourself being drawn into it but because you're a Christian you have the sense of God watching over you and that God is the God who keeps you you can face grief you can face any problem in life that you that you cannot solve by yourself 
but you realize that there is a wise, loving, sovereign God who is my Father, my Shepherd, my God, in whom I trust. We often look at the discouragements, don't we, in life? How often do we spend time looking at the discouragement when we see so little progress in the church? We're seeing so little progress, so, li- so few conversions in our churches. Who's to blame? Well, I blame myself to a large extent for my prayerlessness. And sometimes because of that, we despair. And we're also aware in our own spiritual lives of our lack of growth. And sometimes we despair there as well. But we need to remind ourselves when we're faced with these temptations and trials that there is a God on the throne even when things seem to be impossible and when we can say, I'm not strong enough to cope with this situation. Ah, but God, my God, he can enable me if I come to him. You see, God can empower us in times of weakness and we must look to that God for strength to enable us to live day by day. That's particularly true when we're approaching death as Christians. Surely these words should glow over us because we see a heavenly light before us because that's the progress we're making as Christians. You see, my flesh and heart does faint and fail but my God does fail me never. If my God calls me home he's only calling me home to my inheritance. That inheritance is there for me. But God, my God. What darkness there must be for you today if you're not a Christian. What darkness. What hope do you have? Contrast that with a Christian. What hope does a Christian have? Oh, he has great hope. He has great hope. But my friend, if you're not yet a Christian... There is no hope until you put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But secondly, let us look at the salvation. We are duty-bound to understand as Christians. The apostle here is not concerned to remind the Ephesians of something that is going to happen to them. You see, Paul is speaking, preaching here, or writing here to Christians. He's not talking about something that's going to happen to them, but reminding them that something has already happened because they are Christians. And he's reminding them of their present position. So that begs a question of us What is a Christian? What is a Christian? Is it someone who goes to church? Yes, of course it is. He leads a respectable life? Yes, of course that's true. Has he made some commitment of some kind? Yes, that's true. Is he a a person who has been born again? Oh, yes, that's true. Is he a new creation or she a new creation in Christ? Yes, that's true. We are forgiven? Yes, that's true. 
We have been declared by God the Father to be justified. Yes, that's true. So that when God the Father looks down upon us, he sees us not in our sin, but in the imputed righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A great price has been paid by Jesus Christ on our behalf. There was a day when we were in the slavery of a cruel master, the devil. But we have been purchased, purchased by a wonderful Savior. We know all these things. All these things are true. But that is only a limited view of what it is to be a Christian. It is vital, my friends, in this day and age, where the devil is trying his level best to destroy the church, for us to understand what the apostle is teaching us here in these verses. Something I fear that many Christians are neglecting. So let us look at these two verses. Verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. If we were today to go through all the letters of Paul, you would find that on 75 occasions, you will find this, these two words, in Christ or in him, 75 times. Let me quote Professor John Murray. For those of you who are not familiar with John Murray, I would urge you to read a book that he wrote, probably one of the most influential books that I read as a young Christian, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Fantastic book. Professor John Murray comments, Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It comes at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. Union with Christ, my friends, as we saw in the hub of the wheel, is in the very center. I want to illustrate that by an illustration I've used here before in an evangelical sense. Of two giants... And these two giants had a massive belt around their waist. I mean, they were big. When you read the account in Thomas Goodwin's book, Volume 4, an, ex uh, an excellent example, and I hope I'll be able to explain it well. Thomas Goodwin was a Puritan, and he writes about these two giants, Adam and Christ. Now, on these belts were millions and millions and millions of hooks. Now, you might think this is a strange illustration, but listen, bear with me. It is an excellent illustration, and I hope you'll be able to get it. Every human being who ever came into this world is hanging on one or other of these hooks. That is true of us here this morning. There are only that division in our church this morning. Those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. Those who are in Adam, those who are not in Adam. We were all born in sin. We were born hanging on Adam's belt. Children of God's wrath. We disobeyed in the Garden of Eden. We disobeyed and we were condemned in Adam from the very beginning. When he dies, we die. We are in Adam no matter what we do. And I'm quoting from Thomas Goodwin. 
We are an Adam. No matter how hard we try, we are an Adam. No matter how many prayers we pray or how good we try to be, we are an Adam. No matter how hard we try to please God, we are an Adam. Apart from God's power, there we stay. All that Adam was and did is counted as ours. That is the condition of human beings by nature, choice and practice. Salvation is God unhooking us. Again, I'm quoting from Thomas Goodwin. Salvation is God unhooking us from Adam's belt onto Christ's belt. So that where we once were in Adam, we are now in Christ. And now hang upon Christ's belt. He in turn takes us with him. And when he lives a life of perfect obedience on earth, obeying every one of his father's commandments perfectly, we obey in him. Every prayer, every act of obedience, devotion is counted as ours. We keep the law in him. We obey God in him. We glorify God in him. When he goes to the cross, we go to the cross. When he is punished for sin, we are punished in him. When he is buried in the grave, we are buried in him. And when he comes out of the grave, we come out of the grave. And when he rises up to heaven, we rise up to heaven. When he goes into the presence of God, we go into the presence of God. When God, when he sits at the right hand of the Father in glory, we are there with him. And none of this is our doing. None of it is our doing. None of it. It is only because we are in Christ, united to Christ. You see, there was a covenant made in eternity past between God the Father and God the Son before the world was ever created. God the Father gave to his own Son, gave to his Son, an elect people for whom in time Christ would die. And we have the privilege today to look back to that time in Bethlehem when Jesus added to his person humanity in order for him to die. You see, he couldn't die in his divinity. He had to add, add to his person humanity so that he could be our redeemer. Oh, my friends, what a great savior is ours. Everything that Christ was is counted as ours. Did you see it? Can you see the picture? And all he suffered is counted as ours. And all that he did is counted as ours. What a magnificent exchange takes place. Transaction takes place. Paul said, we were dead. Now he says we're made alive in Christ. We were dominated by the world of flesh and death. Now we are raised with him in a new and glorious life. We were doomed. Now Paul says we are now seated with him. Seated with him. Secure, victorious in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God, where his glory and power are fully known. Oh, my friends, is that not stupendous? You see it? Stupendous. What a savior. All that Christ has is ours. Take that to the devil. What is true of him is true of us because we are united to him. Salvation far greater than forgiveness or, or, or peace or any of the other blessings. This is something that's total, it's permanent, and we are identified with our Savior. 
That is so it's absurd to say that I believe and can fall away. Impossible. I had the privilege in Germany, and this is going back to the early 70s, and all that love had been converted, but I was thankful that I'd been taught the shorter catechism and I knew my doctrines reasonably well in these days. And in the Sasser Fellowship, my young sergeant's wife came in, in tears. She had been very badly taught. And sadly, there are so many ch- churches today who are badly teaching people false theology. This was a woman who came to believe that she had reached out and taken hold of Christ. But something had happened uh, over a couple of days and she felt that she had let go of Christ and was spiraling back into a lost eternity. I'm a Christian because I trusted Christ. That's not what the Bible says. And my faith is weak. I'm a Christian because I've committed myself. I have committed myself to, to Christ. It's what God has done for us. My friends, we need to weave into the fiber of her being these doctrines to enable us to know the assurance and have the strength of faith that we ought to have living in this dark day in which God has chosen us to live. We need to bring it into the very fibers of our faith. And we're not going to do that by watching television or doing things that are keeping us away from God's word. Let me quote John Murray again. The perspective of God's people is not narrow, it is broad and long, not confined to space and time, but from the electing love of the Father in the councils of eternity that we mentioned earlier on, to final glorification with Christ. Murray goes on to say this, the former has no beginning, the latter has no end, Our salvation in that sense has no beginning and no end. Planned before time and space existed and endures when time and space is no more. Unquote. Professor John Murray. Our salvation is a magnificent, permanent act of God. It changes our whole identity. It changes our whole destiny. All his dealings with us are now in Christ and not in any other way. The spirit that dwells within us now forms us more and more into the likeness of Christ. The same Christ has overcome every temptation and was perfectly obedient. That Christ, my friend, is in you now. Jesus who had compassion on the crowds and who healed the sick. That Jesus is in you now. The humble Jesus who led us a servant and washed his disciples' feet. He is in you now. The Jesus who suffered and loved to the end. He dwells in you. And the Jesus who was raised into new life. That Jesus is living in you now. All my friends as Christians... Do you really realize the resources that you carry around with you? Do you realize that you are never alone to face whatever problem you have in life? Jesus is there with you. 
No matter what the problem is. Because you are united to Christ. That is why Paul prays for the Ephesians. I think in a sense prays for us. That the eye of our heart be enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the, to the working of his great might. He also prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. My friends, to enable us to be strong and to know that assurance, we need to be constantly preaching to ourselves. What do I mean? It means that we need to be reminding ourselves of the promises that are there in Scripture that give us strength and help whenever the devil comes and tries to hinder us in whichever way he can. You see, Jesus is what a human should look like. We often look to humans and we see them inherently flawed. And perhaps sometimes we make the excuse, we make excuse for our own shortcomings because we believe that humans are flawed. But Jesus wasn't flawed in any way, shape or form. Christ in us now labors to make us more human, not less. And that is a good thing because not only has he changed us, but he is continually changing us, bringing us into his own likeness through that process of sanctification in our lives from day to day. Notice how Paul constantly mentions Christ. Alive in Christ. Seated with Christ. We had his workmanship created in Christ. You see, Paul's constant refrain was that he was in Christ. Paul was possessed by Christ. Dominated by Christ. He tells us that himself. For me to live is Christ. Why? Because Christ is the source of salvation. And all depends on him. There is salvation in no other. Now I did mention there that we find it strange that Paul prays for something that is already true. He is writing to Christians. We are to grow in every way in Christ. And the metaphor makes clear that we are already in Christ definitively. Let us remember this as Christians. We are already in Christ definitively and objectively. And now we are to grow up into him experientially and subjectively. Now when I read that statement in this book, which helped me to prepare for this morning, is a book, Union with Christ. Except, well, as Tom Keller says, this is simply the best book for lay people on the subject of union with Christ. And there was this illustration that really enabled me to see uh, the reality of these words. Uh, just listen to this. Imagine a little boy wearing his father's best shirt. He is already fully clothed, the wee boy. You could say that, but he is still a little boy. He will have to grow up into his new covering until it fits him. In the same way, we are already fully clothed in Christ and in his righteousness. But life in Christ 
is one of growing up into this new reality until it fits us. You are not striving to attain it definitively. You are striving to lay hold of what is already yours. And as Christians, we're growing into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what union in Christ means. You are in Christ. And Christ in you, there is... Is there anything more amazing, my friends? Union with Christ touches the highest and most profound truths of the gospel. At the same time, reaching down into the depths of the human heart, filling us with more joy, more hope for the future, more comfort, more strength than anything that this world can offer us. Is there any truth we need more today as Christians than to be reminded of what it means to be united to Christ as Christians? Jesus knows that sometimes it's hard for the Christian to believe that, that we are actually united to Christ. But let's go back to Christ's own prayer, which tells us and explains to us that this is the reality. In John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer, this is what he says. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us, I in them, you in me, so that the world may believe that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. So whatever is true of Christ Jesus, in God's eyes, it is now true of you as a Christian because you're united to the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can come to the Father except through the finished work of Jesus Christ. As the hymn writer said, the terrors of the law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from you. So that when God the Father looks down upon us, it's not our sins he sees but the imputed righteousness of Christ. May God, by his Spirit, enlighten the eyes of your understanding so that you may begin to comprehend this mighty work of God's power in us. That means that we are in a place as Christians where we cannot be threatened or hurt or lost. We are secure. And we are as secure today as those who are already in heaven. And it's important that we keep this at the forefront of our minds. Especially when I'm tempted to indulge in sin. If Christ is indwelling me, which he is, how can I take him to view that film that I'm watching? Christ is there. I'm taking him there. Or that book that I shouldn't be reading. Or that place where I shouldn't be going. Let us remember that we take Christ with us. And may that keep us more and more from sin. What is important this morning 
is what I say about what Christ is saying. And as we look for motivation for our daily living, let us remind ourselves that we are in Christ. And if that's the case, we take him wherever we go. Now I want to close by going back to my illustration. Because I realize, and we're coming to the end, I realize that some of you here this morning are still in Adam. Some of you are in Christ. Even in the same family. Your parents might be Christians. Your brother or sister might be Christians united to Christ. And you're not. Your parents, your brother or sister who is in Christ, they are hooked onto Christ's belt. But my friend, if you're not in Christ this morning, you are hooked onto Adam. And if you're hooked onto Adam, you are lost and you're destined to a lost determined in hell. My friend, you need to be born again. You need to come and seek Christ with all of your heart. And I, this morning, as I close, I plead with you with all of my heart to flee from the wrath that is to come. Because without Christ, there is no hope for eternity. And Christ is saying to you, to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You cannot do it yourself. If you're not a Christian, go home, go on your knees and plead with Jesus. Lord, I realize I'm on Adam's belt and I want to be on Christ's belt. Please take me there. And you'll find that your heart will be troubled. And you'll find that you have to go on your knees and seek the help of Jesus to know him as your Lord and Savior. My friends, what we have as Christians today is extravagant grace and radical discipleship. And that meets in the person of Jesus Christ. My friends, God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's so broad, whosoever believes in him, Everlasting life is there. But we need to plead with Jesus to take us from Adam's belt to Jesus' belt. May that, may God grant that to be true. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths that you revealed to us in the scriptures. We thank you for what is meant to be in Christ, to be, right, to be right inside of him, not on the periphery reaching out to him, but right inside him, and he in us by his Holy Spirit, so that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the representative agents of Jesus. Help us, oh Lord, help us to think of ourselves every day as those who are in him. Oh, may it help us to keep, our, keep us away from sin. Help us to break our sinful habits, knowing that when we sin, we take Jesus with us. 
And Lord, speak, we pray, to those who as yet do not know you, powerfully through your word, that they might believe in the finished work of Christ. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.